0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Bring, bring it, fast.
0: Bring it the Hello, and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us to the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at ePL Roundtable or emailing us at eplroundtable at gmail.com.
1: Hi, I'm Russ Goldman, the host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club. And you can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and at the Twitter account of Cottage Talk.
2: Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of WallsBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, you can get us obviously at WallsBlog.com or on Twitter at WallsBlog.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Um, I feel like Everyone is going to lead off with Chelsea's struggles and Pochettino saying that it's fine that the fans aren't happy right now. But, uh, not to say that this is another lesser year in which all of the big clubs were all struggling in the same year, giving someone else a chance to get up there, because obviously City are still good. But, you do have three clubs that most people had in their top fours. Betting odds always had them in the top five or so. Um, Clubs like Newcastle, Manchester United, and Chelsea, all currently in the bottom ten after five matches, obviously early, um, but was curious why you think these clubs are struggling and which do you think is the most likely to be able to turn it around?
1: Well, I think it's going to be probably Newcastle United because I think that they have a really good manager and I believe that they will turn around. I think they have the talent to turn around. So if I'm a betting man, I would put my money on Newcastle United, but I would look at Chelsea and Manchester United as as different entities, the reason why they're struggling. Manchester United, I think, are dealing with a great deal off the pitch that are affecting them, including the situation with ownership. Mm. I think their situation is different than the Chelsea situation, but I think there's a lot going on with Manchester United, which is making them difficult to be a top four side this year. And I actually thought they would be, but I think that Ten Hag is in a difficult spot trying to put this all together, keep the ship going in regards to everything that is off the pitch. Chelsea, for me, I just think it's basically, let's let's see how many players we can buy, how much money we can spend, and we'll just let Pochettino put it all together. And it takes time. I think Chelsea eventually will right the ship. But um, if I'm a supporter of Chelsea, I'm more looking at the amount of money that they spend and the results that they're getting, which is not good. Pochettino is a first-rate manager. If it doesn't happen, I would put more on that they didn't recruit the right players. But we'll see how that all happens. When you throw so many darts at a dartboard, I guess eventually you're going to hit. But I think there's just too much going on at Chelsea for a team to come together. So we'll see how that all plays out. In regards to why we're seeing this situation with these teams, I think it goes to the strength of the Premier League, the amount of money being brought into the Premier League, the players that are coming in to sides that might not come, say, 10 years ago. My side, Thomas's side, I think are have benefited from that. So I just think it's a more even league. And I think that's why you are actually seeing teams like ours and other teams finding ways to basically compete against the Chelsea's. I'm looking at Brighton, a team that on paper shouldn't be able to do it, but they have a way of doing things that is able to compete. Brentford is another one, even though I can't stand Brentford. So I think other teams are finding ways to compete with the top six teams. And that's why you are seeing. These three large teams struggling a little bit. It's early, though.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think you've got to, Each team has its own narrative. Um, I, I think Newcastle Newcastle have been perhaps the most unlucky in the sense that they've they perhaps had the most difficult fixtures, I would say. Or, or they've had very difficult games to start off with um and it could have very it could have easily gone the other way for them i think you know they were they were beating liverpool um and they should have seen that game out and i think if they would won that game it, things would have looked a lot rosier in the garden now than, than it currently does so it kind of their season kind of pivoted on that i think a little bit because there was no real surprise they lost to man city um and, and anyone can be beaten by a fantastic brighton team there's no there's no doubt about that. But I think that Liverpool game was a painful one because they had it within their grasp. But I think all in the case of all three teams, in terms of who's most likely to, to turn it around, I think you have to look, look at which team is the closest to knowing their best 11. So which team... So Man mm. United and Newcastle, I would say, based on last season, they know that they have an 11 within their squad that when they're all firing, they're going to be towards the top of the table because they're... You know, they've, they've, they've got that proof in the bag. What I'd say about Chelsea is that they're experimenting still. You know, Pochettino's still got a lot of pieces. I don't know. I couldn't tell you what the Chelsea eleven's is going to be before I see it. Um, so I think they're, they're definitely in a transitional season. I'll be staggered if Chelsea are anywhere near the top six, seven places um, in the Premier League. I think they'll be below the likes of Aston Villa. I think they'll finish below Brighton. Um, so, I, you know, Chelsea for me realistically this season are mid-table and that's not because of a lack of quality it's because I just don't think they're anywhere close to finding you know their best 11 and getting into that rhythm and understanding how to navigate all the different challenges of Premier League football so Chelsea are the furthest off it Um, I've been surprised by how bad Manchester United have actually been because that they've still got the players the nucleus of that team from last season uh, and it just seems like some of those players have dropped down a level. It doesn't seem like Casemiro is playing anywhere near as well as he was, you know, in those peak days for last season when they were they were doing really well. And Martinez at the back, they seem they seem to have lightning in a bottle for a short period last season. But so I don't know what it is that's just just disrupted disrupted their rhythm. But they're they're in a they're in a bad place. So I mean, I think I would agree with Rush generally, as I say, because coming bringing it back to what I said at the start about Newcastle. I feel like Newcastle are the most compact, well drilled, well coached unit. I think they've got the depth in that squad um you know to to do well and and at the moment if you're asking me which of those teams I'd least like to play it would probably be Newcastle. So yeah, so I think I think Chelsea are, Chelsea are miles off it. Newcastle probably just a, a blip, bit of a bump in the road. Man United just massively underperforming and there's just clouds Overhead at that club in in, in every sense, um, and I suppose as well with Man United, you have to say they've had they've got some injuries to some key players. You know, Luke Shaw being out for a, for a period is is pretty bad for them. Um, so yeah, and I think there's one or two others sort of dropping in and out for them, and Mount's been injured. So I'm, I'm just surprised, I suppose, with how bad it's gone for Man United. But yeah, in, in order, Newcastle, I think will will probably turn it round quickest. Man United, they they just need to do better and. Chelsea Miles off
0: Yeah, um, so Manchester United, um, we, we talked about a lot last week about some of the, the issues surrounding that club. And yeah, I, I think those might need to be resolved before they get better. Um, but uh, on the pitch, still really not great. They're currently 12th in expected points and they're currently 13th in the table. Um, so maybe not as much positive regression coming for them as I'm sure United fans would hope. Uh, and to your Chelsea point there, uh, Thomas. I do think the squad building was a huge issue. I think, uh, and I'm going to use my uh, American card here, I think Todd Bowley thinks that football is baseball and that if you had the 26 best players for baseball, um, you'd win every World Series, as the Braves are probably about to do. Um, But in football, it doesn't work that way. Like, pure ability or talent levels matter much less than being able to play cohesively in a system with other players that benefit from that system and i just don't think he's gotten that yet it's like the finance half that's like okay these are all investments they're all amortized over like a decade and more will succeed than fail the ones that will succeed will pay for the ones that fail and also in the in, in the interim we're getting all of the most expensive players in the world so inherently they'll be good and i just think that is like a fundamental misunderstanding of how you build a team in football
1: No, um, I'm right there with you on that. And I think you really nailed it with that basically talking about how Chelsea looks at it. Well, how Todd Bowley looks at it. It is a bunch of investments. And you can't just build a team like the New York Yankees of the 1990s and expect them to win all these World Series. In the case of football, it's very different. You have a certain system that Pochettino is running. How do you know all these players can fit that system? and play as a cohesive unit. And that's where they're getting it wrong. It's all about investment. It's all about spending money and not thinking about how all the pieces fit to the puzzle.
2: Yeah, I, I would say as well, I'm quite surprised by some of the signings they've made. They've, they've invested heavily in youth, um, you know, unproven talents, particularly in the Premier League. Uh, I'm surprised when they did the kind of hard reset in the summer, they didn't kind of supplement some of the younger talents with a bit more proven Premier League experience, just because I think it would it would have allowed them to bed in some of those players a bit more comfortably. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it's it could it could all end up brilliant for them. You know, they've got Pochettino, they've got a lot of young players they was the hoping that he can he can build a team in the similar way he did at Tottenham. Galvanise them, and they're they're playing okay. They're easy enough on the eye. I saw some of their game at, at Bournemouth today. They they perhaps could have won that with the chances they created. But I just I, I think it's there's there's two different things there. There's building a team that can be competitive in the Premier League, and there's building a team that can be you know successful in the Premier League and win consistently. And I'm just not sure they're there yet. I just think there's I see enough in eve in all their matches. I mean, even when they swatted Luton away. Uh, I think they I think it was three nil in the end, three or four nil. But even in that, I, I saw vulnerability. Um, I didn't think they had that game entirely locked up throughout. So, so yeah, they're, they're just getting there. It's a transitional season for them. That you know, I think what what it is this year is is finding out, sorting out in that squad something like what what's going to be his his best eleven, and then you know he'll know better next summer about what he needs to add to that to, to, to advance the team. But I think they're, to me, they're mid table outskirts of Europe at the very best this season, and then start again next season.
0: Yeah, I I think those are a lot of good points. And another factor in all this Pochettino talk is he famously likes having a small squad and evaluating players as people before players, before bringing them in. It's one of the reasons why Tottenham signed no one for 18 months, um, right? As we were kind of at the peak of our powers in zero worlds is it his idea to be like let's get all of the players from everywhere that play different styles and i'll make it work like that's exactly what he tried at psg and it didn't work there so why is it gonna work anyway i could go off on a whole pochettino thing and i will save everyone (laughs) from that um which of the managers do you think is going to be the most quickly in trouble pochettino certainly seems to think it is not himself
1: I would say out of the three of them, it's probably going to be Ten Hag. Uh, Ten Hag, I think, probably is going to be under a lot of pressure. I actually was listening to 606 yesterday, and a lot of the Manchester United callers were not focusing on Ten Hag, but I don't think that's going to last. I, I think that a lot of the venom is towards the Glazers, but at some point it's going to turn to Ten Hag if he doesn't get this thing going around because it's impossible to live up to that legacy of Sir Alex Ferguson. They're all trying to do it, and it's going to be difficult for whoever takes that job. So the most vulnerable to me is going to be Ten Hag. Honestly, it's certainly not going to be Eddie Howe, and Pochettino just got there. So for me, out of the three of them, it's got to be Ten Hag.
2: I, th- I think all three at the moment are pretty much safe as houses for, for different reasons. Um, as I've said, Chelsea—it's a project. I think the manager, I think the, the hierarchy there know that it's a project, and unless it goes really dramatically sour for them, which I don't think it will. I, and when I say that, I mean you know towards the bottom three kind of bad. Um, I think I think he'll get the full season at least to see what he can do because a reset there again would would probably be pretty, pretty disastrous. Um, Newcastle, Eddie Howe's got a lot of equity in the bank there. Um, I, I don't see them wanting to make a change and disrupt their rhythm, particularly in the middle of a season, um, before a, a ball's even being kicked in the Champions League. I mean, they've got a terrible Champions League group. They're going to do very well to get out of that group. But I think there's good good, you know, will towards Eddie Howe from the supporters, and you know, if they were to pull the trigger on him now, I think there'd be questions over those owners as to, you know, why are you doing that? So I don't I don't think Eddie Howe's anywhere close to, to being in the spotlight. He will eventually because that that's a that's going to become a pressure cooker there at St James's Park because of the weight of expectation. Um, but I think it it's too soon. I think he, he sees out the season again pretty much unless unless he disastrously wrong, which I don't think he will because I've I've got a belief in that that squad that he's got there and what he's built. And then yes, I suppose it does leave Ten Hag, but even with even with what's going on at Man United, again, you've got to if you're thinking about sacking a manager, you've got to look at what's going on with the ownership. And I think I think the is it in the benefits of the Manchester United owners to sack Ten Hag? Is that going to take the spotlight away from them? I'm not I'm not sure it is, um, because I think it puts the pressure on them to go and find a replacement. And at Manchester United, it's they don't want to get back into that the mess they got in last time after they sacked Solskjaer and they didn't really have anyone to go and get. So unless there's an obvious candidate that you would go and get who would definitely be better, then why would you? And again, Ten Hag's coming in off a very good season last year. Well, in my book anyway, rebuilding that Manchester United team. So yeah, I I think it's too soon to really consider any of them being in, in any kind of jeopardy. Even with the things going on at those respective clubs, particularly Manchester United, I suppose. But um, but yeah, I mean, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one, I would probably say Ten Hag. But um, but I don't see
0: it. Yeah, I think those are all very good points made by you all. Um, next, I wanted to talk about the uh, stoppage time rule. So uh, yesterday, uh, Tottenham ended up completing the latest ever comeback win um, with goals in the ninety eighth and hundredth minute. To beat Sheffield United, obviously Sheffield United's players and manager had a lot of thoughts about the match going on that long. Uh, I have other thoughts that I will spare everyone um, about all the time wasting that happened throughout the match that led to that stoppage time. But I was just curious your guys' thoughts on this new rule now that we've been seeing it in practice. Um, And and if you think it does naturally, like by its very nature, disadvantage clubs that are smaller that have thinner benches.
1: I think uh, possibly it could because, again, if you're looking at it, teams with more depth that have more talent on their bench, they could really benefit from a longer stoppage time. But what's interesting that I want to just throw to the table here is what I experienced yesterday and also what you saw today. So you have what happened with you at Tottenham all that stoppage time. Fulham's match against Luton Town. If I'm a Luton Town supporter, I'm probably scratching my head because there were only four minutes of stoppage time. And I think they had, I think both sides had all of their substitutes used. So were there any injuries? Were there a- any moments of delay? I would say probably in that second half. So how do you come up with four minutes compared to everyone else? I, And again, my club benefited from it, but I'm trying to be honest here when I look at it. I think you have to be very consistent on this. If you're going to do it, you need to be doing it in every match, and and it shouldn't be a discrepancy. I watched the Everton match, four minutes, same thing. And then you have these other matches like yours that's going for all this time. I've seen eight, nine minutes. So I just think that there's got to be – more consistent on the stoppage time. And everyone's on the same page with how they're figuring that all out, because uh, I don't know if it's there to potentially benefit, say a team like Tottenham, but I do do see your point that maybe it does hurt smaller clubs that don't have the depth. So that's an interesting point there.
2: Yeah. I mean, there was a interesting little story from the, the walls Liverpool game yesterday because They got two late goals, not in injury time. I think they were both before the 90 um, or the third one was maybe just into the 90. Um, And so we were cooked, you know, 3-1. We'd had our say in that game and it was over. And the referee played 12 minutes of additional time in the Mm -hmm. game. And it was the most bizarre (laughs) after it got to about, I think it was 98 got put up. And I think there was an injury in injury time. But by the end of it, half the ground had left. The Liverpool supporters, who were obviously buoyant, they'd gone past being buoyant. They were like, we wanted to celebrate this victory five (laughs) minutes ago. And so by the time the final whistle went, it was this really bizarre. There was like four minutes where nobody wanted to be there. You know, everyone just wanted it to be over. So that was a really strange one. And I think obviously, I think maybe because it was televised, Maybe the referee thought, Well, look, you know, I've got to play this by the book. We said there was going to be eight minutes and I'll stop my watch and but it was just bizarre. It just created this weird situation. It's like who are you playing these additional minutes for? I don't know. But so maybe they are playing it, you know, by the book, by whatever criteria they're um they're stating. I mean my view remains on the clock that the book we should be playing we should be playing thirty five, forty minutes each way, whatever it is, and stopping the clock when the ball is dead that's just as that to me is the most obvious open goal I don't understand why we don't do it it just it it eliminates every bit of doubt in the entire thing you know and then we don't have things where people are going well why are they adding it this much this time and it does to me still seem like we we don't know what number's gonna gonna come up on the board and there's just going you just know there's going to be games this season let's say you know towards the business end where man city are chasing a goal or arsenal man united need a goal the ref puts up 10 minutes and they go, well, where's he got 10 minutes from? And they get their goal in the 99th minute and everyone goes, it's a fix, you know, it's a con, the Premier League. So I feel like they're opening themselves up to that kind of criticism, particularly in the, in the big moment. So... Uh, to me, I, I'm not a fan. I think that the the answer to the time the time issue is to is to make it completely scientific. And if there is a solution like that, why wouldn't you take it? I don't I don't understand. I don't know what the counter argument to, you know, stopping the clock when the ball goes out of play is. I don't I don't understand why that wouldn't just be the decision. But um, but yeah, is it d- disproportionately unfair? I don't know. Well, you could say possibly, but. You can still put five subs on. You've got fresh legs. If it's about tiredness and running around, then you know. And 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 with the money in the Premier League, you know, there's no reason teams can't have deeper squads and, and sustain it. So it it it, it everything favours teams who have more money and are more powerful. That's just the way the league is. Every <laughs> everything is easier for them because they have the best of everything. So I, I wouldn't say that would be, you know, key in my in my thought process. Um, and sometimes what I would say is. Um, if you consider the again the Liverpool Wolves game yesterday, Liverpool being the elite team who have the super duper bench, um it was one all and they were pouring forward. But because we could we could play, you know, make five subs, um, we were able to kind of replenish the midfield and we got much more of a foothold and I actually thought we were gonna get a point because of those additional substitutions we were able to make, even though the game obviously dragged on and on. So I, I, I think um I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that it's it's about thinner squads, but um, but yeah, the, the time issue is one that's gonna it's gonna cause controversy. It's gonna have a it's gonna have a big role to play, particularly as we get into the the sharper end of the season.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. The other thing that I do want to touch on is um, the fact that at a time where there's more football being played by players all the time, with you know international friendlies. Uh, obviously now those have been made competitive within Europe, um, with World Cups and everything like that, all dashed around multiple competitions that every team plays every year. The idea that we should make footballers play more of the true minutes of the 90. I'm not sure if now was the time to do that. I personally am not against it. I think it is better to have more minutes of gameplay um which football is already like easily the best out of out of all the sports that I follow at least um but yeah is it like at a time where we're worried about overloading players with minutes and distances run giving them more of that to do just feels a little off kilter with that also being a general complaint right now um but again not not uh maybe the biggest factor that we're seeing at present um but yeah it 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 felt somewhat like an excuse uh, coming from Sheffield United yesterday. Um, and uh, people will feel heart done by, as, as you guys mentioned. Uh, it'll The times that it happens against you, you'll be like, oh, it should have stopped two minutes ago. And the times it goes for you, you'll be grateful that you were given all that time. Um, but yeah, anyway, great points from you guys. Um, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: All right, and we are back. Russ, we'll start off with you. Um, I wanted to talk about the Joao Polinia situation because for someone from the outside, it makes very little sense with the, we're not selling, like there was the whole stuff with uh, the Saudi League being interested in your manager and two of your best players, who well, I'm pretty sure at the end of last season, you said were like the people that you needed to keep. By the by, you do end up keeping two of them, but well, one of them went to Bayern Munich, potentially going there. Everyone says they'll come back in January, but now you get them to sign a contract extension without a buyout clause. Um, so yeah, just 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 help a fella and an audience out. What is happening uh, with Joe Polinia.
1: How long do you have? Because uh, I could probably go for about an hour about this subject matter, but I'll try to give you guys the uh, quick version of this. And uh, I'll walk you through the whole process, but I won't try to spend too much time on it. I'll just tell you that the irony of this involves Tottenham. Okay? Believe (laughs) it or not, Fulham play Tottenham in the Carabao Cup, Yeah. win the match on penalties. Jaipolinha is adamant and just looks like he's loving the club and going crazy after they win on penalties. And by the way, Fulham are terrible on penalties and one on penalties. so you go from that day, which was I believe on a Tuesday, I think it was a Tuesday, the very next day I started seeing all this talk about Bayern Munich and Paulina and I'm thinking to myself, nothing's going to come of this it's way too late. Fulham are not going to do this and of all people that really raised my eyebrows was Rodney Marsh on his grumpy pundit show where he was hearing things. And I'm like, Rodney, I could not believe he was saying that. I'm like, well, he's probably just going with what he's hearing. Just the general flavor that a player has the opportunity to go to a big club is going to want to go. But I didn't buy it in Paulina's case because I've seen him touch the badge, kiss the badge, and show all that passion towards Fulham. So I'm thinking there's no way he's going to do this this late in the window. And I couldn't have been more wrong because then you started seeing the reports from Fabrizio Romano, especially the reports coming from Germany saying that he wanted to go. So I'm like, okay, I still reiterated, thinking to myself, there's no way they're going to do this because it's too late. They can't find a replacement in time. So the story just keeps progressing and progressing to the point where we started hearing that Paulina was going to fly to Munich. This was on that Friday to have a medical with the idea that if Fulham found a replacement in time, he would be a Munich player that they would have a deal in place. So that Friday of the last day of the deadline was torture for me because I'm following Twitter like you wouldn't believe it. it was a torturous day and I was waiting for the end of the German window like you wouldn't believe and it kept getting closer and closer and I'm seeing the players the phone were linked to but a player on Tottenham and some other players and I'm thinking I don't see this happening there just isn't enough time Thankfully, Fulham did not allow this to happen. The one thing I will blame them on is that they allowed him to fly to Munich to take the medical, to actually meet with their media team in a Bayern Munich shirt. It went to that point. That is the fault on Fulham Football Club for letting it get to that point, because now the deal doesn't mm-hmm. happen, and he comes back and. You know, the reports in Germany is that he was dejected, that he so wanted this move. I got some information that source told me that he really wanted this move. This was very important to him, but it doesn't come off. To his credit, he comes back to Fulham Football Club, and we're all wondering how is he going to play. And on top of it, guys, and you might not be aware of this, his brother's is his agent. And his brother went on Instagram a few days after Friday. I think it was on Sunday and really was basically coming out and saying, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the Instagram post word for word, but he was really talking about how basically this is going to happen soon, you know, probably the next window, that this isn't the end of this. And as you can imagine, that probably really upset Fulham Football Club. That post, that Instagram post was brought down hours later. And then what ends up happening next is even more unbelievable. I'm driving home from work on Thursday, and I am blown away by an alert from Fulham Football Club that they re-signed Pulinha and Harrison Reed. Both players had interest from other clubs Actually, Harris and Reed had interest reportedly from Wolves. They both now have signed new agreements. So it got to the point where I'm just thinking okay, is this just a way to give them some more money and maybe hold them off until the summer? That's what I think this is all about. I think it benefits Paulina because he gets more money. And I think it benefits the club because I think it buys them some time. And also, they will get a bigger fee because he signed for another year. So I think in the end, it's going to work out for Paulina because he's making more money now. The question will be, will Fulham be able to hold on to him until the summer, which I really hope that they do. Because it wouldn't make sense, we were talking about this, On Cottage Talk, and I talked to some other Fulham supporters about this. Fulham would would look terrible if they made this deal with Paulina, and then he left in January. They would look foolish. There are a lot of things that Fulham Football Club are— Foolish is not really one of them, so I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is a way to try to get them to the summer. So, And to be honest with you, Paulina was a professional. He played great against Luton Town, and he even showed how valuable he is because he was vital to that victory yesterday. So I'm just going to say to the two of you, Kevin and Thomas, it's just a, a crazy cluster bleep situation with Fulham Football Club and Shell Polina.
0: Yeah, definitely sounds like it. Um, but as you said, you did manage to hold on to him. You ha- managed to hold on to Marco Silva. Even Otto who seemed destined to either go to Tottenham or Monaco, ended up staying. So on balance, are you right. happy that ultimately you were able to retain that much talent, both in the playing squad and in the managerial staff? Or do you still wish something else had kind of happened in the summer window?
1: Well, those are two different questions on keeping marco silva absolutely because everything will crumble once marco silva leaves i truly believe that everything's been built around silva and the fact that he's still not signed a new contract is extremely worrying so that's still something to be concerned about but the fact that he's still there and committed to phone football club is huge obviously paulina is huge the Tosin's situation is bizarre in itself. By the way, he's now injured for five to six weeks. I find that kind of curious. So I don't expect him to be at FOM football club in January. I'm I'm sure they will sell him at, at some point. He doesn't want to be there. And honestly, I think they want him to move on as well. I think they want to make some money off of him. So I think Tosin at Ur-Bio will be gone in January. But the question about the window, am I happy that uh, the manager is still there and Paulina is still there? Absolutely. Am I overall happy with the window? Their answer is absolutely not. I'm extremely disappointed. I'm very disappointed. I just went on my own show and I reiterated how disappointed I am. It was a missed opportunity. They had an opportunity to really kick on and bring in – Higher quality players than they brought in. They brought in players that are good professional players. Good players, but they should have been going after players of the level of Paulina. And they only brought in what I would call good players like Awobi, Calvin Bassey, Adama Traore, Raul Jimenez. These are good players. But Fulham needed to kick on. This is basically the best way I can put it is Ful- Fulham's window was fine, but not ambitious. That's the best way to put it.
0: Gotcha. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how you perform this year. I-, I assume there's no concern about, like, being dragged into relegation races or anything like that. So it'll just be interesting to see how high up you do manage to go this year. Um, Thomas, we'll come to yep. you next. Um, I'm just really curious about what's going on with Wolves in general last this year, uh, the first time I've meaningfully gotten to see you play this year was the first half yesterday, and I came away from it really impressed. Obviously, the result didn't go against you, and you mentioned uh, all the extra stoppage time at the at the end there already. But I was just curious your thoughts on how you're playing this year, and if you were also uh, encouraged by what you at least saw during parts of that match yesterday.
2: Massively encouraged by the first half, yeah. I mean, we outplayed Liverpool, which is you know no mean feat, and they they came in with good confidence into that game. Um, yeah, and I suppose the only disappointment was that we, we didn't punish them because we had an unbelievably yeah. good chance to what make it What was he 2-0. doing? He kind of like uh, ch- chested it down? Exactly. He just got himself in a bad position. And that's the, the that's killed us, really. Because, I mean, I don't know if you know, either of you saw the game at Old Trafford on the opening day, but we we battered Man United, really. We were we were the better team for the entire 90 minutes and we... And Mateus Cunha missed an even easier chance than that um, to put us ahead there. So that that's what's killed us really, an and inability to take chances, and that that has plagued us for a long time because you know it, there's been times where we haven't created a lot of chances, and so you know not taking them is is doubly as bad. You know the top teams can miss chances and go make plenty more, so we need to take those chances. I think if Mateus Cunha makes it two nil. We probably don't lose that game. We might not necessarily win it, but I, I don't think we'd have lost it at, at two 0 up. So, so yeah, that that was a big moment. And then in the second half, you know, it was always likely that Liverpool were going to come again, and you know, so it proved. And they and they beat us with weight of numbers. Klopp took off a deep line midfielder, brought on, you know, Luis Diaz, and um, that made it very difficult for us, and we we couldn't contain them really. So, yeah, from our perspective, we were disappointed with the goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that game has been a, the story of our season, really. We've been good in patches in in all the games. As I say, we did well at Old Trafford. We were all right in the first half against Brighton. Um, we did okay in spells at Crystal Palace, but we we've just we're just not quite good enough at either end of the pitch, unfortunately. We're no longer a very defensively robust team. And we, and we don't do enough when we create things in the the final third. So we've got to address at least one of those problems or it is going to be a long season. We either need to tighten up at the back or be much better in attack. So, um, so yeah, but it's weird, you know. I mean, I think there's still a lot of talent in the squad. I think the recruitment, the, you know, the amount, the late recruitment we did looks good. Um, uh, Bellegarde played yesterday. I think that's how you say his name. It's the first appearance for Wolves. He looked a very good very good player, didn't put a misplaced pass at any point during the game, um, Pedro Neto looks very sharp, Matthias Cunha looks very good, other than the finishing uh, Wanky Chan has, has got three goals for us, which basically makes him Harry Kane in, in Wolves terms you know, um, so you know there's there's plenty of good things um about the squad and about the team but we've just got to put it all together it's it's Luton next Saturday which we'll probably allude to later in the podcast but um that's a massive game we we can't afford to go there and lose because that's really going to i think if we do that it's it's going to define you know what what our season's going to be about so um so yeah so it could have could have been worse but but could have been better so far but i think we're still trying to really Equate how good this Wolves team is because we've had, we've had some difficult fixtures um, to start ourselves. You know Liverpool, Manchester United, Brighton. That's that's tough really as, as a start. So we got the win at Everton in the one game. We'd probably be expected to have have got something. So the the litmus test again will probably be next week at Luton, and then we'll probably have a better idea about about where we are. Gotcha. Mentioning
0: Luton there, is there any uh, worry or expectation that you'll be in a relegation fight throughout the year, hence that that match mattering so much?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm under no illusions. I think we will be in a relegation battle. I think it comes down to whether those three teams that come up are able, any of them are able to actually put any results together. Um, I, I firmly believe the three teams that came up uh, Everton and Wolves will be the five teams that are in the conversation. I, I can't really, I'm struggling to see any other, any other teams come into contention in that way. Um, I think we've got a better squad than all of those four teams. I wouldn't swap our squad for any of the other four. Um, I think we've probably played better than those teams, pound for pound in all the games. So I think I think our chances of staying up are good. But I think we will be in the conversation for sure. I mean that that is that is a given to me. I mean, we didn't have the best summer. Well, we had a disaster of a summer, really. You know, we changed the manager a few days before the season started. (laughs) We shipped a lot of players out. If you could draw up a blueprint of how not to do a summer, we that's exactly what Wolves did. You know, and they they left themselves in a mess. So um but what what's you know like I say what's buoyant for me as a wall supporter and it's nothing against those clubs I think all three of the teams that have come up have got a serious problem I just don't think any of them to me from what I've seen so far look like they've got enough to get to 40 points so I I think that that points requirement is going to be lower this season it could be sub 35 I can't remember what it ended up being last season actually but um I know it could be 33, 34, even less than that, um, you know, because I struggle to see wh- where those teams are going to get their results. So, um, you know, that bodes well because it means it, it, it's easier to um, to do well. But from a Wolves perspective, I, I think we'll, if we're if we're anything other than you know fourth, fifth, bottom of the table, I would consider that uh, you know a very good season.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirty five points would have kept someone safe last season. Everton ended up being in seventeenth with 36 but Leicester were at 34. So technically they could have had one fewer draw somewhere and still yeah. still been fine. Um, we'll move from there now into Player Watch, where I wanted to ask you guys, when you were kind of like drawing up what you expected your starting 11 to be for your club in the summer, who's someone that has surprisingly gotten those minutes in and has kind of made themselves valuable thus far?
1: Well... This is going to be an interesting one because I'm going to share a name that Thomas knows very well, and that's Raul Jimenez. Now, I wasn't expecting Raul Jimenez to be your starting striker. This goes back to the whole situation with Mitro. On top of it, I did think that Foam would try to find another replacement for Mitro. Nothing against Jimenez, but I just thought that they were looking for a player that had been at his peak level like Mitro has, but they did not do that. So now that they have Raul Jimenez, who I am rooting for in the worst possible way, I really am. I want him to succeed. And he works extremely hard. We said this on Cottage Talk today. But I don't know how well he suits how Marco Silva wants to play. Marco Silva really changed how how he wanted to play when he got Metro. and now Fulham are so mm. used to playing with this target man, and to be honest with you, right now, that's not really the strength of Jimenez. He's playing really strong. I mean, he's working really hard, but it has been difficult for him to get that goal. I have a feeling once he gets that goal, that he's going to score more than a few goals for Fulham, but we actually won the game when they took off Jimenez and brought in Carlos Vinicius, who is a target man, who, Kevin, you know, from Tottenham, yeah. scored a goal and has been effective playing that Mitro role. He's not Mitro, but he's improved over the course of his time with Fulham. So now the argument is, do you come back and you start Jimenez against Crystal Palace, or do you go with Vinicius and it's going to be interesting it's an interesting dilemma that Silva has because uh he really has backed Jimenez and I have as well and I want him to succeed I just don't know how long you can go with someone not scoring goals and then someone shows you that they can score goals and he looked dangerous when he played yesterday so for me the surprise is Jimenez just because I expected Fulham to bring in. Another striker, and they didn't.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll also talk strikers for Wolves. Um, so it's a tale of two strikers um, because we we got Fabio Silver back from a, a year he spent out on loan, and he did quite well. He went to Belgium and he scored some goals the first half of the season, and then he went to PSV in the second half of the season and played under Ruud van Nistelrooy, scored some goals for them, and seemed to get good press. Um, and so he came back and hopes were high, and he's got a lot of minutes for Wolves this season. But for me, just he's not fulfilling the the, the brief. He doesn't look like he's going to score. When he does get chances, he's missing them. So that that's that's a problem for me. I I, I hoped that we would also see Sasa Kalajic uh, more. He he had a spent the year out injured last year. And I think they're nursing him back in. But I'd hoped, because he seemed to more or less get a full pre-season and and build up minutes in games, that by now he would have been more of a a fixture in the starting lineup. He's the tallest player in the Premier League. Um, Every time he seems to be on the pitch, we seem to score a goal. So I'm I'm a bit at a loss as to why Gary O'Neill hasn't turned to him. Um, Again, yesterday at Liverpool, we were struggling to hold the ball up front. You know, it was a tidal wave of Liverpool attacks in the second half. And he brings on Fabio Silva when you've got a bloke who's nearly seven foot tall, you know, who he can hit with a long ball. who can bring it down and bring others into play. I just don't get why he's not he's not using him. I can only think that they're, they're really managing him because they don't want him to get another, another injury. So I'm hoping as he comes into it that... Um, you know that, that he he becomes a, a pivotal player for us because I really do think he's the man to change our fortunes. I think if that that chance that I referred to earlier that fell to Mateas Kuny had come to Kalajic, I think it would have been in the in the goal and, and we you know we'd have won the game possibly. So we have got to get him in the side um, sooner rather than later. And a bit of a tidbit for us as well that uh, it was rumored on transfer deadline day that uh, Fulham were interested in Kalajic actually. Oh. Um, they, yeah, there was a there was a rumor there was Fulham and AC Milan, um, which probably tells you that you know the guy's got some pedigree and he came with a big reputation from Germany. So I, I, I think getting him in the Wolves team is, is pivotal and I, I that's my hot tip now for the between now and the end of the season that he he's going to be a player who I think by the end of the season if he gets the minutes we're going to be talking about as a, a you know an important player for Wolves and a and a regular goal scorer if he gets on the pitch.
0: Interesting stuff. I It would be very surprising if a club sold two strikers to a different club, in the, the same club in the same window. But weirder things have happened in football, I suppose. Um, we'll wrap up with match previews. And Russ, we'll start off with you as you're going to be facing Crystal Palace.
1: Very interesting game. And uh, I'll be curious to see how Fulham play. Like I mentioned, uh, I, I think the big talk for us is going to be who's going to be the striker. And Fulham actually have played very well under Silva last season. They're doing it again with teams that are basically going to be beneath them in the table they are going to be in the relegation battle. And then teams around them like Crystal Palace, I believe, will be. So I think going to Selhurst Park is always difficult. And playing against Roy Hodgson, who I think hopefully will be okay. I, I I think that he was not available, if I remember correctly. Yep. The last match, so hopefully everything's okay with him. And I have so much respect for Roy and his team, the way that he puts his team out. But I do like Fulham's chances because I know that Silva will have his team ready to go to play against a very difficult team to play against Crystal Palace. But Fulham did well at Craven Cottage, and they did very well at Selhurst Park last season. So I don't see any reason why Fulham can't get all three points or get something out of it.
0: All right, and then Thomas will come to you next. You already referenced it, but you're going to be playing Luton uh, in the coming week. You mentioned kind of need to win this one. Is that what you're expecting?
2: Oh, I don't know what to expect, to be honest. I mean, I, don't, I haven't got enough confidence in Wolves to say we're going to go there and sort them out and definitely win. Um, I know this sounds really pessimistic and people will probably pull me up for it, but I, I just think it's really important we don't lose. Um, I want us to win because I think that puts us potentially back in that kind of mid-table conversation, you know, if, depending on other results, of course. But I just think, I, as I say, I'm just really, I'm, I'm weighting our performance against those those other four teams. Well, the four teams who are below us in the table now. Um, basically, we're 16th and you've got Sheffield United, Everton, Burnley and Luton. So I'm looking at all their results and comparing us to them. So I'm hoping you know, we we avoid defeat primarily at Luton. Um, I think I would probably, if I had to make a forecast, I'd probably say a draw. I think we, there's no, you know, we actually, bizarrely, we played Luton in a pre-season friendly at Molyneux and they put out their best team. We put out a pretty strong team, which is really strange when you, you know, a few days before the start of the season, you're playing a fellow Premier League team in a, and we we kind of bossed the match in terms of possession and chances created, um, but they, on the few occasions they got forward, they they did hurt us with some of their kind of direct play. So, you know, if that match is anything to go by, particularly at Kenilworth Road, where it's a tight, compact pitch and the crowd are on top of you, you know, it's going to be, a, that's going to be a tight game. It's going to be difficult for us to play some of the kind of intricate football that we seem to want to play um, sort of overcomplicating things at times, in my opinion. But um, so yeah, it's going to be. I'm expecting a tough game, and if I had to forecast a result, I would just be sitting on the fence and saying a draw, and I would probably take that. I really do want to win because we've got Man City the week after. Um, but um, but yeah, I'd take a draw, and I think a draw is probably the most likely outcome. Gotcha. Well, good
0: luck to you both. Uh, that'll do it for us today, though. So if you want to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time.
1: Okay. well, again, I'm Russ Goldman, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about phone football club. And you can follow me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, and also the Twitter account, just simply Cottage Talk. And please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts and actually on the YouTube channel for Cottage Talk.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Kev. Um, Yeah, obviously. The wolvesblog.com is the place to go, especially if your team's playing wolves or you're a wall supporter yourself. But um so yeah, upcoming things will be a preview for the the Luton game next week. There's obviously if you're a Liverpool supporter, there's a report already up there from the uh the game at the weekend. Plenty of lively discussion in the comments section. So yeah, always good to get the the input of opposition fans as well as wolves supporters. So if you're Interested? then please head on over to wallsblog.com. And um, otherwise, I will catch you next time I'm on the show.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much to you too. And for people listening, be sure to go check both of these guys out. They are great. Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on that one website at KevRuff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable or by searching EPL Roundtable in any of your podcast apps. Uh, but yeah, again, I think the third time now, thanks to Thomas and Russ for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening.